Hello, real life family and friends. Uh, we are in a series right now called The Ways of the Kingdom. And it's a little play on words uh, uh, from the Star, uh, the Star Wars kind of off, off series that came out recently that called The Mandalorian. And uh, in, that, in that movie, The Mandalorian always will say some, at some point in the episode, this is the way. And I was thinking about that with the kingdom of God. There is a different way for us to live life now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and uh, came back to his, his disciples and began to teach them this. So let's, uh, let's continue and pick up where we left off last week on the ways of the kingdom. Why, why is life different for us now as believers? What is different? How do we think differently? What, what, what is new? What is different because of Jesus coming and rising from the dead and ascending to heaven than was, was for mankind before that happened? So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, as I mentioned last week, said, after his suffering, talking about Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, after he rose, and we celebrated this a couple weeks ago on Easter, he rose from the dead, and then he began to appear over 40 days, teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God really is the rule and reign of God. So he was teaching them in light of what he just did, how that now changes everything for you and for me. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, Everything is different because of what he has done for us than was the case before he came. We were in this dark world, this broken kingdom, this, this kingdom of darkness under the rule of sin, under the rule of Satan, under the rule of death, sickness, brokenness. Uh, you know, just we're all in this mess, right? But God entered our mess. He entered the darkness as the light of the world and he turned the light on and he gave us a brand new beginning in him. So that's what we're talking about here. And last week we talked about how we have a new identity, right? Our old identity was one of sin, of ego, of pride. And if I, to summarize it all together, I would say self-sufficiency, right? In the Garden of Eden, mankind walked away from God. We walked away from God. We, each of us have done this in our own heart saying, I'm going to take control of my own life. That's an ego-based identity. That's I'm going to find value by myself. I'm going to define my own terms. I'm going to, uh, you know, make something of myself and, and I'm going to do it my way, right? The old Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way, okay? That's ego, that's self-sufficiency, and that path leads to death. Absolutely, absolutely. So Jesus pulls us out of that kingdom and out of that old identity of sin and self-sufficiency, which, which is uh, it's a killer, and it's, a, it's dark, broken, evil, bondage. That's why we had the messes we have, because we made a mess of it. And so when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're switching our identity to now Christ. Christ is now who we are. And we're no longer identified by our sin and our failures and our hurts and our pains and the darkness that happened in our life. We are now defined by who Jesus is and his righteousness and his goodness and his love and how God sees us in him. We're a new creation in Him. That's what we talked about last week. So I don't want to re-preach the whole message. But I do want to just do a little bit of something I didn't get to last week. So in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, I'm going to read a few of these verses. Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So, one of the big changes that happens, one of the ways of the kingdom is this. Once we place our faith in Christ, we actually die to the old sinful nature. 
and sin no longer controls us. So Paul says, so why would we still act like we're the same person? We're not. And by acting like the same person, I mean sinning. He's like, we don't have to sin anymore. That's not who we are. We're not that hothead. We're not that abused person. We're not that, um, you know, insecure person anymore. That's not who we are anymore. So we need to come out of that mindset. So Paul is telling us, let's come out of that mindset. So he says this in verse 3, Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? In other words, we died too. When we accept Christ, we are, and Christ died for our sins, so that death paid for our sins. So figuratively, uh, we also die to our sin, okay, by coming to Christ. It's no longer who we are. It's dead. Verse 4, we therefore were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We are raised to a different life. Our old nature is dead. Now we are new. So we're resurrected. Our spirit is resurrected. We're born again. We're a new creation. Okay? This is what's happened. In verse 5, So, if for if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So right now, we are living a resurrection life. Okay? For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. So that old Tim Hobson that was filled with sin and controlled by sin, now that's done away with. It's over. It's not who I am anymore. I'm not identified by that. And it says that's done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is really good news. So Paul goes on in verse 11, he says, In the same way, because of this mindset, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are a different person now. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, you are under grace. Okay. In other words, you're no longer identified uh, by sin; you are identified by your sonship or daughtership in God. You're no longer alienated from God. You're no longer uh, filled with that sin. You are now righteous in Christ. You are a son and daughter of God. So now we behave that way, not because we have to, not because we're trying to earn salvation. We have salvation. But because that's who we are now. That's who we are. Children of God, set free, forgiven. And we have a new identity. Okay, so that was what last week's message was all about. One of the ways of the kingdom is that we are new in Christ. We have a new core, a new identity inside of us. And that identity is no longer ego or self or self-sufficiency or independence. It is Christ. Our new identity is Jesus Christ. That's who is in us. That's the seed of God that is planted in us, that's growing and overtaking our old way of living and thinking. So there's three things about our soul. We think, we have thoughts, we have feelings, and we have a will and desires. And God wants your thoughts, your emotions, and your desires to all be filtered through this new identity. So we have some old thinking that's just not uh, in alignment anymore with who we are. We have some old feelings 
we have some uh, old desires that God wants to re-filter through your identity in Christ and change you. And he will completely transform your life from a sin-based identity and how you think, feel, and want to a sonship or daughtership identity in Christ to who you really are now, how you can think, how you can feel, and, and, and what your desires will be. So God will change your soul. He will save not just your spirit, but your soul. The way that you feel and think and, and want. It's just awesome. And so let the light of God and the truth of God just continue to filter and wash you and set you free from the old identity of sin. Okay? Because you are brand new. So that's the way of the kingdom. One of the ways of the kingdom is realizing that you are someone totally new in Christ. And we use the rest of our lives to discover layer after layer after layer of truth of who we are now through the eyes of God, not through the pain of, of the past and the sin. God wants you to be healed. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be transformed into more and more life. He wants to swallow up the death in us with his life, right? That's awesome. Okay, so let's get on to the second way of the kingdom, if you will. And that is, not only do we have a new identity, but we have a new authority. A new authority we never had before. Again, back into the old days before Christ entered our world, we were under the authority of Satan. We were under the authority of sin. But Christ paid our debt of sin, and he defeated Satan at the cross. And, and through faith in him, you and I are no longer under sin, and we're no longer under the power of Satan, but we are over sin, and we are over Satan. It's the great reversal. If you've ever wrestled, there's a move in wrestling uh, called the reversal, and I think you get two points for it. And it's when you're on the bottom and someone's on top wrestling you, and you somehow get around and flip over, and now you're on top, that's called a reversal. And that's exactly what God has done for us in the spiritual realm. We have a great reversal. We were under sin. We were under uh, Satan's power. And now we are over sin and over Satan's power. So that's our new authority. That's a complete game changer. That's, that's what the kingdom of God has done for you and for me. Set us free, pulled us out of that old kingdom, put us on top. Okay? So I'm going to talk about that today on how this is a reality for you and for me because it changes everything. A new identity, a new authority. These are the ways of the kingdom. There's a couple others we'll get to in the, in the weeks to come. So let's talk about authority over sin. Just, just for a moment, because I talked a lot about this last week. But Romans 6.14 says, I just read it, for sin shall no longer be your master. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer over you. Sin no longer has control of you. Sin can no longer boss you around, pull you around, jerk you around, tell you what to do. Sin's no longer over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are no longer under that, that sinful law. You are under the grace of God, Jesus Christ. And so you are, your Lord is no longer sin. Your Lord is Jesus. Okay? So it's a completely different game altogether. We are not controlled by our evil desires any longer. Sin is no longer inevitable. We do not need to stay in bondage. We don't need to stay addicted. We don't need to stay in chronic pain and hurt because of our past or our pain from sin. We can break free. You can be healed. You can be set free. There isn't any sin or any hurt or any pain or any addiction that God can't set you free from if you cooperate with him. 
because sin no longer has control over you. You can decide to be whole, to be healed. You can turn it over to God. You can trust in God and you can let him change your mind and heal your heart and set you free. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Sin no longer has any power over you unless you let it. So don't let it rule or reign in you any longer. Jesus has conquered sin and he's conquered the devil. So let's talk about now, not just that we are over sin, but we are over Satan himself, right? We are no longer under his power. This is a spiritual authority. We are not under Satan's power or authority any longer. We are over him. So Galatians, or I'm sorry, Genesis 3.15, God is talking to the serpent or Satan right after mankind sinned and he's judging Satan and he says this to him and this is the first prophecy in the Bible that there would be a Messiah coming and this is what God said to the serpent. He, talking about mankind, will crush your head, the serpent's head. That's what it was. He, mankind, will crush your head. And so how does this play out in history? Well, we can see it now through the eyes of the cross uh, looking back throughout history, we can see that Jesus put Satan under his feet. He crushed him at the cross. He defeated him at the cross on our behalf. And now that victory has been translated to you and to me, and it's credited to our account. So now we are in victory over Satan himself as well. We're not under his power or control or authority anymore. We are actually in authority over him. If you're a believer, you have authority over the devil. You have authority over demons because of Jesus. Not because of you, but because of Jesus in you. Because Jesus defeated the devil. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So Romans 16, 20, Paul says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. All right. So this is pretty cool. It's translated from Jesus to you and to I today. That Satan belongs under our feet. In Joshua, in the Old Testament, there's a foreshadowing of this. I really love this short little passage. Joshua chapter 10, 24 to 25. Joshua and the Israelites are going into the promised land, and they are, they are uh, dispossessing the enemies in the land. God gave them this land. God said, go in and take possession. So they begin to do that. They defeated five armies at one time, and then this story picks up with the kings of those armies, okay? So in verse 24, it says, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here. And he does an object lesson with them. He says, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they put these kings on the ground, probably facing up. And the army commanders put their feet right on the necks of these kings, Okay. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, listen to these words, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you're going to fight. Wow, what a, what an, a powerful object lesson. He puts the defeated kings on the ground. He tells them to put their foot on their neck. And he says, look at these guys. Don't, don't even be afraid. Don't be discouraged. You be strong. You be courageous because God is going to defeat every one of your enemies just like this. And he's going to put them under your feet. And that's a symbol for you and for me today that Jesus Christ has put Satan under your feet. So put Satan in his place. And that's under your feet. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Stand strong, be strong, be courageous, and know your authority in Christ. You are over the defeated enemy of the devil. And every demon, you through Christ are now victorious. And you need to put him under your feet. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> this is true. This is, our, this is our spiritual reality. This is what's new because you're a believer. This is the ways of the kingdom. The ways of the kingdom is not to walk in a defeated life when we have an enemy that's been defeated. It's to clean up the, the, the battle, right? It's to enforce the authority that we have now and not let the enemy lie to us that he's actually still in charge of our lives. He's not. Satan is not in charge of your life. I'm going to give you some, some more direction on that in a few minutes. Jesus, or the Bible says of Jesus in 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God, the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, the devil's work is sin, and sin leads to death. It leads to brokenness. It leads to bondage. It leads to all kinds of evils in our world. So Jesus came to destroy the devil's work of sin, the devil's work of destruction, the devil's work of lying and breaking things apart and hurting people and harming people, sickness, death itself. Jesus came to destroy death itself, to destroy evil, to destroy addiction, to set us free and to heal us. This is why Jesus came and Jesus gave us all the tools to undo all the work of the enemy, put them under our feet, and live an abundant life, a victorious life in Him. And yet, we will still have battles. And in those battles, we have to um, put into practice our authority. We have to remind the enemy that he's under our feet. He's not in charge anymore. And so that's part of this lesson today, is to encourage you and empower you with the truth that will help you live a free life and stay free. Okay? So the enemy never gets away with anything that he's trying to do to steal and rob and kill you. Um, so Jesus's work in your life is transforming you from, a, from the old death experience to an abundant life experience, right? His work is to destroy what has been trying to destroy you. So let's partner up with Jesus. And let's get our victory back. Now Colossians 3.15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus has defeated our enemies, and he stripped them of their authority and of their power. So in Christ, uh, the demons, the devil himself, has no power, no authority over you at all, unless, unless you allow him to have it. That's the only authority that he has, is whatever you give him in your life. And I'll talk about that later, about how we allow the enemy to have power over us. But he has no power or authority if you don't want him to any longer in your life. And that's the goal of this message, is to help us get on top and not stay under any longer. So here's a memory verse I want you to study. Luke 10, 19. Jesus said to his disciples, I, Jesus is talking, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So Jesus is very explicit here about his, uh, about his transference of authority to us as his believers. And he's saying, you have now authority over Satan, over demons, snakes, and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. 
Isn't that awesome? That's why I want you to memorize this verse and think about that throughout this week. A lot of people say, well, the devil made me do it. Or, oh, the devil's getting me. Or the devil's got, you know. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have any power over you. You, can, you, do, not, uh, you do not need to think that way and allow the devil to push you around, to slap you around, to steal from you. If you are awake, if you're alive in God, if you know God's truth, if you're filled with God's spirit, the devil has no power over you. You need to um, exercise your God-given, Jesus-commissioned authority to stop the devil from trying to beat you up or take things away from you. That's what you need to learn how to do. All right, so we're going to do that. Colossians 1, chapter 13 to 14 says, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion or the power or the authority. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This was last week's memory verse. Hope that you've been thinking about that, meditating on it, because you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brokenness from under the authority of sin, under the authority of Satan, and really under the authority of death. And you've been transferred into the kingdom of Jesus, which is over sin, which is over Satan, and it's over death itself. Jesus is going to swallow up death for you and for me. Not only have we already experienced a spiritual resurrection, we will also experience a physical resurrection and be given a brand new body, not subject any longer to, to death itself or the deterioration of our physical bodies through sin. Jesus is going to do a complete resurrection for you and for me. He starts with our, our spirit. He's working right now on our soul, our thinking, our feelings, our will, and he will finish by resurrecting our bodies. Hallelujah. You are on the winning team if you're on G Team Jesus, okay? So I want to talk about, um, uh, just to highlight a couple things, there's a book that uh, I really enjoy by Pastor Dwayne Vanderclock, which is one of our, you know, uh, one of our, my mentors, and he wrote this book called The 21 Things the Devil Cannot Do. I think the cover looks different. This is an older copy. But this would be a great uh, book for you to go online and, and order. And I just picked out seven things I want to remind you of that the devil cannot do because you are in authority over him. He's not in authority over you. So let's have some fun. Look at a couple things the devil cannot do, okay? Number one, the devil cannot touch your spirit. He cannot touch your spirit. Your spirit is eternally saved through your faith in Christ, and he can't do anything about it. Okay, Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, with the promised Holy Spirit. You are sealed by God himself, by his spirit, and the devil can't touch your spirit. Isn't that awesome? All right, number two, the devil cannot violate your free will. He can't make you do anything you don't want to do or you don't choose to do. He can't, you, you, to, to, you know, the old saying, the devil made me do it, is just not accurate. The devil can't make anybody do anything. He cannot manipulate or he cannot control our free will. He can manipulate us. He can, however, deceive you and I into sin. There is a process of deception that takes place. We see it all the time. We all fall victim to it from time to time. And when we continue to sin, two things happen. Okay? The first thing that happens is our will becomes passive. And the second thing that happens is our heart becomes hard. So we don't want to live in sin, like Paul was saying. Why would we live in it any longer? That's not who we are anymore. But if we choose to do that, we can choose to do that. But if we choose to do that, our will become more and more passive 
and our heart will begin, begin to get more and more hard. And we will suffer the consequences of that sin even though we're saved, even though we're Christians. So the devil wants to deceive you. That's all he can do. But he can't control your free will. The Bible says this in James 1, 14 to 15. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed or tempted. Then after desire was conceived, it gives, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's this process of temptation, of giving into the temptation, of repeating that sin, and then that leads to the consequences of death. So God empowers us to not have to go down that path any longer. And so just be mindful. The devil can't make you do anything. But if he deceives you into sin, get out of it as soon as you can so that that spiral of sin does not take you to a destructive place. All right, thirdly, the devil cannot possess what you do not yield. He can't just come in and take something if you don't allow him to. He can't take your joy if you don't allow him to. He can't take your, your, uh, your, your health if you don't allow him to. You know, he can't take your, your, your peace if you don't allow him to. So he can't just do that. He can't do that. He doesn't have that authority anymore. But he is looking for access into your life. He's looking for a foothold. He's looking for a way to come in and steal from you the things that, that bring life to you. So Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, for instance, is one example of how the devil can get a space in our hearts. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. So the devil is looking for a place to get a space in your life to steal from you, to take from you. And unforgiveness is one of those access points. If you have un unforgiveness in your life, the devil's there. He, he is operating in you, anger and bitterness right now. How do you kick him out? Well, you, you forgive. You just do what the Bible says. You forgive and you kick him out. You release that anger. You release that unforgiveness by forgiving. That's what you do. But if you hold on to it, you're giving the devil a place in your heart and he's going to take that space up and he's going to torment you and he's going to make you an angry person, a bitter person, and then words will come out of your mouth and you're going to hurt other people. That's just what happens. There's lots of access points that the devil is looking for. Sexuality, if you give yourself over to pornography or if you give yourself over to drugs, the devil's going to use that space to begin to, to, to have a foothold in your heart or in your life. If you give your mind over to depression and negativity, he's going to use those thoughts. He's going to come against you in that area. You can give your tongue over to the devil by lying or gossiping. So when we sin and when we're opening up these areas of our lives to the devil, he's going to come in and he's going to create a foothold in our life. But that's because we're choosing to do that. He can't just come in and do that if you're on guard. I'll talk about that another time. But uh, I want to encourage you to understand that you have authority over the devil. The devil does not. He cannot just come in and take, take over your life anymore. All right. Number four, the devil cannot stay where he is not welcome. <laughs> if you don't want him around, you can get him out. Okay, here's what the Bible says in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. We submit to God. We submit to God's ways. And then out of that submission, we resist the devil and he has to flee from us. But if you're not submitted to God, you don't have any authority to, to uh, reject the devil or have the devil flee from you. The reason why is because the only reason the devil will flee from us or the authority that we have over the devil is not in and of ourselves. It is in and of Christ. It's the authority of Christ as Lord because we belong to Jesus as Lord and we're honoring him as Lord. That's where the authority comes from. 
And so it says, submit to God, then resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But if we're not submitting to God and we're harboring sin in our lives, we're, you know, we're, we're just putting on a big old welcome mat for the devil to come in and torment us and, and to steal from us. You see? So submission is obedience. It's following God. It's doing his, putting his word into practice. And when you do that, the devil can't stay. Number five, the devil cannot separate you from the love of God. He can't touch the love of God. He can't separate you from the love of God. No matter how far you fall, how far you run, remember the story of Jonah, no matter how deep you go in your sin or your rebellion, you will never outrun the love of God. The devil can't turn, turn your ears away from the love of God. He can't. He can't chase you away from the love of God. God's love will always be near to you. That's because that's who God is. And so the Bible says in Romans 8, 35 to 39, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that brings great comfort to all of us. Number six, the devil cannot condemn you unless you let him, right? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now in Christ Jesus no condemnation. There's no condemnation for you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The devil can't condemn you anymore. He's lying to you when he's trying to condemn you if you're a Christian. Don't listen to that spirit. It will never help you, never encourage you. It'll never build you up. It'll only tear you down, push you to the corner, and try to get you to the sidelines. All right? So the devil cannot condemn you anymore. He has no grounds against you. Jesus, your advocate, is in heaven interceding for you right now, and his blood has been sprinkled on the altar of God for your sins. And your sins, the record, has been nailed to the cross, and there's no legal action the devil can take against you any longer. Hallelujah. And number seven, and there's many more in this book, so go get that book if you want to. The devil cannot take you to hell if you don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, baby. He can't control your eternal destiny. Only you can. Only you can. The devil cannot stop people from going to heaven. Cannot do that. It is a will issue. And if my will calls out to God, and I, and I, I fall on the mercy of God, and I place my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the devil can't do anything to stop that. doesn't matter how many demons are, are against me. doesn't matter how many bad things I've done or you've done. doesn't matter what, what your track record is. If you turn to God, if you fall on the mercy of God, if you reach out to Jesus and you call out on Him as Lord and Savior, the devil cannot stop you from going to heaven. He can't do it. The Bible says in Romans 10:9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Right now, I'm asking you if you have any, any question at all about your eternal salvation through Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you to pray a prayer right now with me to get right with God. The devil can't stop you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. You need Jesus. Jesus is your Savior. He is your Lord. If you call out on Him, you will be saved. And you will be given a new authority over sin and a new authority 
over Satan, and those things will no longer define who you are, no longer control you, and God can heal you and transform you right now, starting today, you can have a new beginning and a new life. If that's what you want to do, I invite you to pray this prayer with me right now in your heart as you call out on God. Okay, pray this with me. Say, God, thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus Christ, your son, to die on a cross, to shed his blood for my sin. And today I receive by faith Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I'm all yours. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you that I belong to you and I am under your authority from this day forward. And I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have this power from heaven to live and experience this new life in you. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Continue to grow in this understanding of who you are uh, and continue to join us here as you continue to learn what that looks like. What areas in your life have you unwittingly, get, unwittingly given the devil influence? Those are areas that you need to get back through the scripture, through the word of God, and through the authority Jesus gave you, and be set free. Be set free. Jesus has all authority. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. I pray, Paul's writing this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So the Bible says that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God in the throne room of heaven. Okay? And it goes on to say in verse 21, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. So Jesus is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly throne room above all power, all dominion, and all authority. There is no greater name, no greater authority than Jesus. Okay? That's what the Bible says right now. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet. You see where we're going with this? Under his feet, everything, all power, authority, and dominion is under the feet of Jesus. And appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, you and I. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In other words, in Psalm, I think it's 110 verse 1. Uh, uh, God said to, to Jesus, basically, sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. And now Jesus is sitting on the throne room next to God and under his feet is his enemies. In other words, his footstool is his enemies. Okay? Now, there's, a, there's another picture I want to give you later in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? It means that spiritually right now, you and I have been raised up and we are seated next to Christ. And if we're seated next to Christ, we're sharing the same footstool. <laughs> and under the footstool is the enemies, right? And he is far above all power, all authority, all dominion. And we are seated with him, with him in the same big chair or something. I'm not sure, but the authority he has given directly to us is his own authority. And so all things are now under our feet. And here's what I see this, this uh, verse saying. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparably riches, uh, uh, riches of his grace. I think God is now showing off through you and through me what his love can do in a person's life. And he's showing the heavenly realms. He's showing this earthly realm. Because when a believer comes to Christ... Everything changes. We have a new identity, and now we have a new authority, and God is showing off through you and through me. He has given us His authority, not because we're somebody special, but because we're somebody special in Him, right? Because we are saved, we are redeemed, and it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not me, it's Christ in me. It's who I belong to. It's who I am in Him, and it's who you are in Jesus. That's where the authority comes from. And that's where the glory goes. It all goes to him. Let, let your light shine in such a way, Jesus said, that others will see your good deeds. And do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's not about me becoming somebody uh, amazing. It's about God doing something amazing in me and through me. And it all goes back to him. Same for you. God wants to show off through you. So you need to know who you are in him. The only authority the enemy has over you is the authority you allow him to have. That's really the strongest point I can make with this message. There is no more authority that Satan has over you unless you allow him to have it. How do you allow him to have it? Through ignorance of his word. If you don't know your rights, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know the promises of God, the devil's going to lie to you. He's going to trick you and he's going to deceive you and you won't even know it's happening. That's why we need to know the Word of God. Another way that He can have authority over us is through laziness or apathy. If, if He begins to uh, squat on our, on our peace and we just don't confront Him, if He begins to take away our joy, if He begins to take away our, our health and we don't confront, we don't push back, we don't resist, then He'll just keep coming, keep coming, keep taking more and more and more. And we'll be lazy. We're being apathetic. So He can just... He's going to try to get, come in to any spot that he can in your life to steal from you, to hurt you, to harm you, so that he can taint the image of God in you and stop you from multiplying the life of God on the earth and those around you. So we can let the enemy have authority over us through ignorance, through apathy, or through rebellion, through flat-out sin. Whenever we are sinning, we are opening up an access point for the enemy to come in and get a foothold in our lives. But God has given you everything you need to not only defeat the enemy in your life, but to maintain that victory. And none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But make those mistakes and quickly rebound, quickly return to the Lord, quickly reset. Because we're not perfect, but God wants you to grow. He wants you to grow closer to Him and more and more 
into the image that he made you in. I challenge you to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And we also have an exciting men's Bible study going on on Thursday mornings at 9.30 that's covering this chapter in the Bible. It's called the Armor of God. And you need to know what that armor is. You need to practice that armor so that you can maintain victory over the enemy. Because the enemy that we are battling right now is a spiritual enemy. So we need spiritual weapons, and we need to realize that he's going to continue to come at us. And so we need to be together, strong in the Lord, strong in his word, strong in fellowship, strong in the spirit, so we can combat him and push him back. I hope this message has blessed you. I hope that today you take some more ground back and that you put the enemy where he belongs. He belongs under your feet. Get into the word. Keep studying. Keep growing. Uh, get into good, strong Christian fellowship and stir up the Holy Spirit within you. Praying, reading the Word, getting around Christians, all of these things are going to help equip you to live a life of victory in Him. Let me pray a blessing on you today, okay? Thank you, Lord. God, I just pray that this message blesses those who are watching and listening. I pray, Lord, that you'll reveal to, to each one who's listening right now any area in their life that they have allowed the enemy to take ground away from them. And Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to reveal this and also to restore to each one listening to this prayer, restore confidence that they have authority through Christ to get this ground back. And I pray that you equip each one, encourage each one to grab a hold of your promises, to submit themselves to you, Lord, in your word, to resist the enemy, and to, to get him to flee and to regain this ground in their life for the glory of your kingdom, for their benefit, and for the glory of God. I just pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Motivate us, encourage us, open our eyes, that we can see, God, more clearly who you are, who we are in you, and what you've called us to be and do in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. I love you. God loves you. Uh, live a life of victory this week in his name.